0: So, brothers and sisters, Psalm eighty-four may not uh, strike us immediately as a, as an August Psalm. That's what we're dealing with here in August. A uh, little little play on words. We're looking at August Psalms, which is to say Psalms that uh, speak to us of of God's kingship. So, Psalm eighty-four may not immediately uh, fit that category, if you will, and. In uh, in another way, it uh, it might be called a a psalm of divine desire. Uh, Like Psalm 42, which we also heard, Psalm 84 expresses a strong and ardent desire for God. Psalm 42 says, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? And in the same way, uh, with the same sense of longing for God, uh, Psalm 84 says, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. So Psalm 84 is definitely uh, what we might call a psalm of desire, but it is also a, an august psalm as well. Four times in this relatively short psalm, <clears throat> the psalmist addresses God with the words, O Lord of hosts. And if you recall from last time, this, uh, this expression, which can also be translated, uh, the Lord Almighty or the Lord of armies, um, this address gives us the image of of God as the great king, and the great king even arrayed for battle um, with with an army of presumably his his countless angels. Uh, the image is is one of royal splendor and and power, and with the repetition of this expression, "O Lord of Hosts," Psalm eighty four. Uh, becomes very clearly, I, I want to argue, uh, an August Psalm, uh, a Psalm in which God is portrayed and proclaimed as uh, strikingly in in royal terms as uh, the Great King. But because Psalm eighty four is both an August Psalm as well as a Psalm of Desire. Uh, <coughs> it provides us with a, a very important correction or clarification in our, in our day. According to many in our day, a, a sense of desire for God and a right fear of God are considered mutually exclusive. In other words, it's, it's considered a, a contradiction, I think, and, and even an impossibility to love God and yet... To fear him. And maybe in our own hearts we sense this apparent contradiction. Perhaps we too find it hard, if not impossible, to understand. How how can we love God even as we see him as this fearful king? If he is reigning over us, if he is ruling above us, if he causes us to tremble by his power and authority, well, how can we love him? And, 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 and what should, in fact, draw us to him? Well, whenever we sense a, a contradiction within our knowledge of God, we obviously need to ask, uh, is it a contradiction in Scripture? And, uh, and Psalm 84 teaches us what we surely know, that there is no contradiction in God, Nor in his word, uh, so that we must pray and, and, and study God's word and avoid finding a contradiction where none truly exists. Psalm 84 fits with the words of Psalm 2, which says, Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. So joy and the fear of the Lord are not in contradiction. And Psalm 84 fits with the words of Psalm 130, which says of God, but with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. So forgiveness and the fear of the Lord are, are not uh, in conflict or in contradiction um, with each other. And to teach us as well that our love for God does not contradict our fear of him. Psalm 84 expresses an ardent desire for God, even as he is the Lord of hosts. So as we as we take up a study of Psalm 84 this evening, let this be the first point to understand the blessing of God's presence. The blessing of God's presence. The psalmist begins by expressing his desire and longing for the presence of God. He writes, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. And as we hear these words, they might uh, bring us a a sense of conviction, as we ask ourselves, "Well, why don't I have this same love for God and this this desire to be in His presence?" And in dealing with this sense of conviction, some might come to the conclusion, "Well, you know, I'm—I I guess I'm just not that spiritual." Uh, you know, some people just are given to be more spiritual. Uh, But me, uh, well, I'm just not a a, a spiritual person in order to have this longing for God. The problem with that conclusion is that the psalmist is not being spiritual in Psalm 84. In other words, he's not expressing a, a love for God that arises from his own spirituality or from his own heart for God Another way to, to put it is that the psalmist is not pining for God like young people in love pine for each other. Instead, the psalmist is expressing his desire for God out of his utter dependence upon God. The psalmist is longing for the presence of God because God is the source of life. And because apart from God, the psalmist knows that he is a dead man. His love for God is not just a feeling, but the knowledge and the conviction of how much he needs the Lord. We sometimes might uh, see this better, or, or, or we perhaps might see this better by Again, looking at Psalm 42, because in Psalm 42, the psalmist says this, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? So in Psalm 42, we, we might be able to understand better what it is to long for God and, and, and what it means to faint for the courts of the Lord. The psalmist is not longing for some subjective experience. The psalmist is not longing for God because it would be such a a moving spiritual experience to be in God's presence. Instead, the psalmist pants and and thirsts for God because he doesn't want to die. He doesn't want to be like a, a staggering deer stumbling through the desert with vultures circling overhead. Well, so in Psalm 84, when the psalmist writes, My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. It's not that he's head over heels in love with God, or that he gets a spiritual charge out, out of being with God. Instead, he has come to know that apart from God, he is a dead man. He has come to know that God is the source of his life, and that God's blessing of life is his very presence. And that's why he writes next, my heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. In both Psalm 42 and Psalm 84 the psalmist refers to God as the living God. And this reference to God as the living God doesn't mean doesn't just mean that God is alive and not dead. It certainly means that God is not like a dumb and dead idol that can't speak, see, hear, smell, feel, or walk. But it means even more that God is the giver of life. God is the source of all life and blessing. I think the the problem in our day is that people don't know their their utter dependence upon God it, it, if people talk about depending upon God it's often of a, a voluntary dependence uh, if they are you know super spiritual they they decide that they're going to depend upon God uh, up to that point they didn't depend upon him or so they think uh, but uh, maybe they heard a sermon or maybe they read a book that talked about, this very sad God who wants so desperately for people to uh, depend upon him. So they decide that they that they will change now and, and start depending upon God. And then they read Psalm 42 or Psalm 84, and, and they think they're hearing the psalmist doing the same thing, deciding that he's going to depend upon God, that he's just going to long for him and, and love him up and stroke him and caress him. And that's just silliness, if, if not blasphemous. And, and it's based on a wrong reading of these psalms and, uh, and otherwise uh, an ignorance of who God is and what their relationship to him truly is. What does God's word teach us about our relationship to God, but that he is our creator God. He made us, and and he made us out of dirt. Uh, Granted, God created us in his own image, and that's not to be discounted. He he crowned us with glory and honor, as we heard in in Psalm 8 a couple weeks ago. But the, the only reason we are alive at all is that he has breathed into our nostrils the breath of life. And not only is he, our, is he our creator, he is also our sustainer, God. Unless he grants it, our hearts are not going to beat another beat and our lungs are not going to draw another breath every second of every day. We live in utter dependence upon the God who created us and every day that we live, we live because he grants it. We, we, we depend upon God for life And not because we decide that we depend upon him, but just because we do. In him we live and move and have our being, said the Apostle Paul. And that's true whether we acknowledge our dependence upon him or not. So in Psalm 84, the psalmist is longing for God, not because he... He wants to feel the presence of God, not because he wants to experience the presence of God, not because he feels he's missing something in his life and God can fill that spiritual void that that he feels. Instead, the psalmist longs for the courts of the Lord because he doesn't want to die and he doesn't want to rot in the grave and he doesn't want to return to the dust from which he came. And even as he knows God as the source of life, so he knows God as the, as the great and mighty king, the God who can protect him from those who would return him to the dust, those who would kill him, those who would just as soon see him dead. And yet even as the psalmist knows God as the Lord of hosts, so he also knows that God is for him, he knows that God is merciful toward him, and that God cares about him, and that's why his attention is drawn to this bird, uh, this sparrow that has found a home for herself in the temple. If you've ever been in a large store and seen birds flying around inside, it's kind of a kind of a somewhat surreal experience to see birds flying around inside uh, of, a, of a building. But that's the experience that the psalmist is pointing out here. The, the psalmist was in the temple and, and, and the sparrow had found its way into the temple and a swallow had even apparently built a nest in the temple. And the psalmist uh, has such an understanding and conviction of God's loving care that in a sense he sees himself in the bird and he sees that even as god cares for a sparrow so he is concerned for him and for his well-being but again does this mean that god dotes on birds is this a psalm just about feelings of love and and, and tenderness. No, because the sparrow finds a home and a swallow, a nest for herself at your altars, O Lord of hosts. God is the Lord of hosts who reigns over both his people and the enemies of his people. He is the living God, the source and giver of life to all creatures. And if, as Jesus pointed out to us, and if even to sparrows, then certainly for. His people as well. And so for the psalmist, the presence of God is the blessing of God. The presence of God is both the power and the authority of God to do all things for his people. And the presence of God is the love of God for his people and his willingness to bless them with life and with life to the full. And that brings us to the second point, and to hear the call to pilgrimage. The call to pilgrimage. The psalmist closes the first part of Psalm 84 by reiterating, Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Which, which by the way, is, is we've pointed this out before. It's an inseparable connection. Those who dwell in the presence of God will be ever singing his praises, because they know him. in order to praise him. But he reiterates that the presence of God is the blessing of God to his people. And and if that's the case, then blessed as well are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. In other words, those who take the roads leading to the temple, those who have both the desire and the strength to travel to Jerusalem, they are blessed by God. On one hand, here is uh, quite simply a, a call to God's people to travel to Jerusalem uh, and to come in, to the temple of God. Uh, there's a sense in which Psalm 84 is one long, extended call to worship. Don't stay home, the psalmist is saying, come to Jerusalem. Uh, seek the presence of our God at the temple, because He is the source of your life and, and 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 of your blessing. Because and and because He cares for you. And the call of the psalmist is for God's people to come rejoicing, rejoicing, because God is the source of life, and and He's the God who dwells with His people. So come rejoicing. Be those who go through the valley of Baca, making it a place of springs. In other words be those who turn the dry wilderness into a place of springs by way of their rejoicing as they go up to Jerusalem so how do we read these verses we're not in Jerusalem right we're not in Judea um, how do we read these verses and this call from or in God's word uh, how do we read it in our perspective in, in our in our own day it's certainly a call for us to come to church rejoicing to gather in the very presence of god each lord's day i try to make that um, obvious i try to make that evident i try to make it something worth thinking about as we gather to worship we're we're here in the very presence of god Uh, so do we come each lord's day rejoicing to enter the presence of god and if not then then what will you do will you simply decide well Yeah, I guess I should rejoice, and and so I'll, I'll rejoice. Instead, know that God is your creator, and he is your sustainer, God. He has promised you eternal life through Jesus Christ. Instead of just deciding to rejoice, rejoice instead in Christ himself. Rejoice that God has given you life, even eternal life. In Christ, and, and make your worship of God a, a deliberate, thoughtful, intentional response to what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. Rejoice in the presence of God, but rejoice in the knowledge of God in Jesus Christ. But Psalm 84 also sounds the call to live every day rejoicing in the promise of heaven. The two passages that we read from Revelation make it clear that heaven will be the fulfillment of Psalm 84. Did you you pick up on that? The fulfillment of God's dwelling in the temple and his dwelling with his, his people. And even as Psalm 84 teaches us that God's presence with his people means life and blessing for his people. So, These passages from Revelation make it clear that that the blessing of heaven is the the blessing of God's own presence. Revelation 21, verses 3 and 4 says, And I heard a, a loud voice from the throne, saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them. As their God, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. So the same themes, can you hear it? The same themes come together once again in Revelation 21. In, in Psalm 84, the presence of God is life to his people. And in Revelation 21, the, the promise is given that in heaven God will dwell with his people and death shall be no more. Even further in in Revelation twenty-two, verse one, the water of life is flowing from the presence of God, from the throne of God and the Lamb. And in God's presence as well is the tree of life. Like the like the Garden of Eden, once again in heaven, God's people will have access to the to the tree of life, because like it was in the Garden of Eden, now once again, in the end, the dwelling of God is restored. To his people. So when we hear the call to pilgrimage, in Psalm eighty four, we are hearing the call that we must answer every day, throughout our lives. We we need to remember that uh, that we have been given the promise of heaven. How often do you th- think about the promise of heaven that you have in Christ Jesus? We. We need to remember that we are but pilgrims and sojourners here on earth in this age that is passing away. And we need to hear the call to make our journey through life with rejoicing, turning the wilderness of this said world into a place of springs. And when we grow discouraged, you can't even say if, it's When we grow discouraged, we simply need to remember how needless our discouragement really is exactly because we have the promise of heaven. And in heaven, the promise of dwelling in the presence of God. And by the presence of God, the the promise of eternal life. And we have this promise as well, that those who set their hearts on pilgrimage those who live with a longing to be with Christ in heaven, they will go from strength to strength until each one appears before God in Zion. So here in Psalm 84 is, is really, if you think about it, isn't, isn't this the, the perseverance of the saints? Uh, here's the teaching of God's word that those who are trusting in God and longing for his presence Those who who rejoice in the promise of heaven throughout this life, they go from strength to strength. In other words, God continues to give them strength by the very promise that they have in Christ. And they go from strength to strength until each one appears before God in heaven. In the ESV, we, we don't even see the word until. Uh, It's just a statement of what will be. Each one appears before God in Zion. In other words, of those who set out in God's strength, which is to say who set out in Christ, rejoicing as they go, each one appears before God in Zion. But then there comes a a certain shift in Psalm 84, because in verses 8 and 9, suddenly the psalmist is crying out to God. He writes, uh, O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. And it it would seem that the thing that brings about this shift and this crying out to God is the very thought of appearing before God. On one hand, it's a joyful thought. To come into the presence of God, on the other hand, coming into the presence of God, obviously means making an appearance before the great and mighty king. And that thought, it would seem, instills a a sense of fear in the the psalmist. Again, verse 7 says, They go from strength to strength. Uh, Each one appears before God in Zion. So that in verse 8, the psalmist is crying out to God, O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer, give ear, O God of Jacob. And here's the cry of the psalmist in verse 9, Behold our shield, behold our shield, O God, look on the face of your anointed. The psalmist is appealing to a mediator. And ultimately, that mediator is Christ as the psalmist anticipates now, not just coming into the presence of God, but making an appearance before God, he trembles at the, at the very thought. But instead of running away, instead of changing his mind and deciding uh, that the dwelling place of the Lord of hosts is not so lovely, <laughs> instead he appeals to his mediator. He calls upon God to look upon Christ And by receiving him in Christ, the psalmist seeks to be received as a sinner. And to be received into the blessed presence of God for the sake of Christ. Again, the problem in our day is that uh, as people anticipate coming into the the presence of God, they, they don't understand it as making an appearance before God. Uh, The presence of God is not a a fearful thing, because in their hearts, they are not approaching the God of Scripture, but the God of their imagination. And as they come voluntarily, as they come to experience God, rather than to make an appearance before God, well, they don't need a mediator for that, so they think. (laughs) And in fact, they, they don't because that's not the one true God. Whatever God they have made up, well, sure, you can approach whatever God you make up without a mediator. But let us make no mistake that if we would dwell in the presence of the Lord of hosts, we have a desperate need for a mediator. And the good news, the gospel, is that God himself has provided that mediator. Christ is the anointed one. That's what Christ means. Christ means the anointed one, the king whom God has chosen to be the savior of his people. Well, each Lord's Day when we get out of bed in the morning and begin to make our way to church, we really ought to be thinking and asking ourselves, how, how can I expect to come into the presence of God today? And there ought to be a sense of absurdity in, in the thought that I, a sinner, how am I going to enter the very presence of God? That's what it means to fear God rightly. But as believers in Christ, there should also be a confidence in us but a confidence that prompts this prayer. Behold my shield, O God. Look on Christ. Look on the face of your anointed and receive me into your presence for the sake of Christ. Jesus himself said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Can we see what he meant by that? No one comes to the Father except through me. So the bottom line is, don't do it. Don't come into the presence of God without Christ as your mediator. But with Christ, as you repent of your sin and believe in Christ and trust that he is your righteousness before God as we talked about this morning, well then don't stay away. Don't stay at home, but come into the presence of God. Because... In his presence is his blessing. Come with your confidence in Christ and come with full expectation that God will bless you with life, even eternal life, for the sake of Christ. Amen. Let's pray. We do thank you, O God, that uh, you have uh, so... Worked our salvation in Christ Jesus that we can come into your presence. We can delight to come and we can look forward each Lord's Day to coming to church, but also we can approach your throne in prayer each and every day. We can do so because we have Christ as our mediator and we can come with the full expectation that whether we are worshiping you singly, um, personally, or as a family or as a church family together each Lord's Day, that you will always meet with us and that in your presence indeed is the fullness of blessing. Receive us each time, O Lord, for the sake of Christ, and give us that conviction and that confidence that as we come with our faith in Christ, you are here with us, you are meeting with us, and you are blessing us as we uh, come to you uh, in faith. We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.